Hey, while you're getting there, let me do just a brief summary where we're at in Galatians, especially if this is your first week into it. What we have is Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing a letter to the churches in Galatia uh, because men were emerging in these congregations telling people that, that Paul's gospel, which again, we've referenced as this Jesus plus nothing gospel, it just wasn't cutting it. It wasn't good enough. They were saying things like, look, this gospel was originally given to the Jewish people. So in addition to believing what Paul has taught you, which is salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone, which we would call the authentic gospel, what they were saying was you must also practice some of the Jewish laws in addition to like circumcision and some of these other ritualistic laws um, that the Jews had practiced for years and years. They said, so in addition to justification, you also got to practice these Jewish laws in order to be saved. It's not enough just to trust Christ alone for your salvation, right? And uh, that, that's hard for us. Even today, we talked about that the last two weeks. Just receiving a Jesus plus nothing gospel is something that we struggle with. It's a foreign concept because we are born into and we are cultivated in and we live in an earning culture. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant, maybe some of you have had this experience. You ask the waiter for your bill and uh, this has happened to me occasionally and he says, hey, don't worry about it. It's been taken care of. Has that ever happened to, to any of you guys? Like one person. Awesome, Nara, thank you. That was me, by the way. I took care of it that time. I'm kidding. Um, but on what, so this is what's so funny. Whenever that happens to me, um, on one hand, like I'm super stoked, right? But on the other hand, I, like, I look around and I kind of wonder who paid and then I start feeling guilty. And then I'm like, I don't know, like, should I leave a tip? Like, did he cover that? And it just kind of puts me into like, it's hard to even receive it, right? It's too easy, you just think, oh my gosh, man, nothing can be this good. I don't like getting something for nothing, right? Unless you're like me and then you eventually get over it and regret that you didn't order something more expensive and like two desserts, right? Which typically is what happens to me. But this is what happened to the Colossians, bringing it back on track, is that they started believing that uh, what we've been calling a Jesus plus something gospel. You got to add something to it. And the result... The result is that they begin to desert, Paul says, they begin to desert the authentic gospel that Paul had preached for a distorted one. So what do we mean then when we say deserting the gospel, like Paul pointed out in chapter one? I mean, to be clear, um, this is what we're not talking about. Nobody was storming out of the church to you know, board a carnival cruise line for spring break in Cancun. That's not what it meant to desert the gospel. It means that they were adding good works to a gospel that is given exclusively by the grace of Jesus Christ. And by adding works, they were left without a gospel of grace. And when there's no gospel of grace, there is therefore no peace with God. The two things don't miss. It was a no gospel at all gospel like we read in verse 7. Now, if you guys walk out these doors, don't do this right now, but, it, but when we go into the cafe and you walk through the exit doors and you make a left, if you go against the wall, you'll see that a, a friend of ours named Robin Roberts, he painted a picture of the front of Substance Church. And it, lo it looks really amazing. He's a great artist. Um, but here's the thing. Like if I sneak in here, and I don't need to sneak in here, but I'm just... Just trying to set it up. If I sneak into the church on Wednesday and, uh, and I add my own little splash of paint, it, it's, it's not a Robin Roberts painting anymore, is it? Like it cannot be sold as an authentic work because it's been distorted. But what we also know about distortions is that sometimes they can be subtle. And so what's happening here with the Galatians is that this distortion of the gospel was subtle. And we know that even in our own lives, subtleties 
can creep into the gospel that we know and that we've been preaching and starts affecting the way we live. Because again, a distorted gospel rarely calls us to pledge allegiance to Satan and begin casting spells in our basement, right? That's not typically what happens. And this is why our ongoing growth and familiarity with God's truth as a gospel community, which is what we are, it's why it's so vital, which is why Paul begins his letter in verse 3 with such a simple and such a straightforward description of what we would call the undistorted gospel. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So there is the gospel in a nutshell, right? It came by grace, by grace. That's what happens when you don't get any sleep the night before. It came by grace, it provides peace, and the reason why it does is that it became from God the Father through Jesus Christ who gave himself. Isn't it amazing in two verses, Paul just lays out the gospel. If you ever need to know how you might commit the gospel and present it and share it to somebody, just remember Galatians 1.3. It's all right there. It's in a bunch of other places too, but we're in the book of Galatians for the next three months. But this gospel, this simple, straightforward gospel is supposed to astonish us. And it stopped astonishing the Galatians at point. It's supposed to leave us breathless in some ways, right? When we consider the love-motivated lengths right, that God went to pay off the debt of death that we owe him, right? It's supposed to leave us in lifelong wonder over just the unfathomable depths of God's mercy. That's why it goes back to what we titled this series. That's why it's a gospel for life and not just a one-time shot in the arm, right? Kind of like you get from measles or polio, and I'm not here to argue for or against vaccination, all right? But here's the thing, a vaccination shot, it's like a one-time procedure, isn't it? It's a one-time procedure. The gospel is different. The gospel is both a once and for all time transformative and progressive work that Christ begins when you face your sin and then finishes when you come face to face with Jesus like we read in 1 Corinthians 13. The gospel is always onward and ongoing. How many of you guys have unfinished home projects? Everybody should just raise their hand. It was rhetorical, right? Dave Owens and I were talking about how much we really, really love home projects. And by love, I mean absolutely despise. And uh, we talked about all the unfinished home projects. But it's a really good illustration of who you are. It's really who you are. But except unlike that room that you've been promising to, you know, get around to painting for seven years, God isn't lazy and unmotivated like you. Okay, like me too, Right? God doesn't have a staff meeting with the Holy Spirit and say, you know, someday, man, we need to get around to doing something with Dave Owens. He doesn't say that, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 reminds us of this simple truth, profoundly saying we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is this, okay? This is the undistorted grace and peace gospel for all of life, onward and ongoing. So this impossibly long intro uh, leads us to last week where we saw Paul make a defense for the gospel. 
And he did it by sharing his testimony about how Jesus led him out of a life of self-righteous law-keeping. Now, you got to remember who Paul was, right? He was a young, up-and-coming, next-in-line, hot, fortune 500 Pharisee, right, who kept all the Jewish laws and went around trying to put a stop to this rebel alliance who called themselves Christians. That's what he was doing before God changed his life. And then we ended last week by talking about what our testimony to the gospel looks like. And we asked the question, we said, is it a testimony that seeks the approval of men or seeks to please God? Because if it seeks to please God, these things, these three things we laid out, remember, should be increasing as we grow in our obedience to Christ. Number one, we'll increasingly resist the approval of men. It's a progressive process, but we will increasingly resist the approval of men. Number two, people will increasingly glorify God because of you and your testimony that keeps increasing because your testimony isn't static. It's always growing because the Holy Spirit is always growing you inside. And then number three, you'll become increasingly jealous for God's glory like we see Paul doing here all through the book of Galatians and really in in all of his letters. So today, Paul's going to continue to build on this theme. Now, he's still in the middle of this rant, which, by the way, is going to last through the entirety of the book. He's just ranting the whole time through the book of Galatians. But we're finally going to pick up here in verse 1, chapter 2. So follow along with me. It says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Verse Six And from those who seem to be influential, and what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only, verse 10, it says, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The first thing that you know about Paul is, uh, hey, how about a period or a comma every once in a while when you write your letters, dude? I mean, because that's hard. That was hard what I just did. That was hard what I just did. So we see two things here as we go through uh, these 10 verses. We see that Paul seeks out the apostles and they accept him. And number two, false brothers spy on Paul, but he rejects them. All right, so that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to get to some, some observations, some application points. So Paul seeks out the apostles and they accept him. He receives a revelation from God. It says to go to the Jerusalem church. It had been 14 years. I'm not going to get into the, the complicated timeline and how, all, how that worked out. But he comes in 14 years after his previous visit. There's a couple of things going on here that I want to bring our attention to. The first one is how he mentions that he came via a revelation, right? And what we see here is Paul providing another example to the churches of Galatia 
and, and the churches of Ashland and the churches of Worcester, because this is a word for us today, right? That as an apostle, he received special revelation directly from God, which is one of the proofs, and let's be honest, perks, right, of being a capital A apostle, which means he receives direct revelation from an encounter with Jesus. Now remember, this status was given to him back in Acts chapter 9, right? When Jesus personally appears to Paul. He regenerates Paul's heart with the light of the gospel. He commissions him to be his apostolic spokesman to the Gentiles. So then we have to ask the question, given what we've been going through the last chapter, why did Paul go to Jerusalem? Again, didn't he just go to all these lengths to assure the Galatians that the gospel he preached was given to him by Jesus, not the apostles? Well, he did, and and he's not contradicting himself here, nor is he looking for affirmation from John, Peter, and James. What's going on here, and this is what we got to be squared on, is that Paul needed to make sure that the gospel the Jerusalem apostles were preaching was in line with the authentic Jesus plus nothing gospel that he'd been preaching to the Gentiles. So let me just clarify this so that we understand this, all right? If Peter, James, and John, Peter being another name for Cephas, who... Again, Paul identifies as these pillars of the Jerusalem church. If they were saying to the church that to be a Christian meant you also had to convert to Judaism, this would hijack and undo the very message Paul had been preaching to the Gentiles. Does that make sense? So let me just kind of bring it, let me bring it a little bit home for us. So uh, Scott and his team, they arrive every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. and they get everything set up and they start rehearsing for this morning's worship. Now, if at some point after they finished everything, you snuck back in to the sound booth and you went to the mixing board and you started doing like all this stuff and scrambling the sliders and turning all of the switches, like something's going to happen, right? You're going to end up with something different. You're going to end up with a distorted mix. You're going to end up with something that was never envisioned for what it was supposed to be in the first place, right? So this is what Paul is trying to understand from these pillars, these these apostles from the Jerusalem church. And he receives affirmation that indeed they are preaching the same gospel. He receives affirmation from Peter, James, and John, who we see in verses 7 through 8, that he has been entrusted with the same authentic gospel that they were entrusted with. He received confirmation. Well, what made them think this? What made them think this? What indicated to them that they shared this unity with Paul? you got to ask the question, what caused them to, it says, extend the right hand of fellowship to him and Barnabas? Well, look what it says in in verse 9. It says, Paul says, they perceived the grace that was given to me. So it's important for us to note that Paul is relentless when it comes to promoting and boasting about grace, about the grace of God that does all of the work of salvation. He says in Romans chapter one, verse five, he said that it was through Jesus that he received grace. He received apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. There's almost never a moment that Paul doesn't wind everything back to grace. He's just stuck on it. It is the theme of what he writes about. And this is because it is grace that brings peace with God. Not circumcision, not keeping Jewish laws, not tithing, not regular church attendance, not exclusively watching God's Not Dead parts one through seven, right? Not that time you walk down the aisle at a youth outreach event, 
Not because you're a really good guy. That's not it. God's grace is the bond of unity that we share as the church, which is why what happens here between Paul and the other apostles is so important to us 2,000 years later. Because what grace does for us, grace creates a head, heart, and hands unity in the church. That's what it gives us. It gives us a unity of head, first off, which is this shared and increasing and growing knowledge of God. It also gives us a unity of heart, which is a shared love for God and desire to carry out and to obey his commands. And then finally, it gives us a unity of hands, which is a shared mission as God's people. I remember this guy came into our community group back in the day, and um, I love this story. I got to just be honest with you, right? And he sat down on one of our old antique chairs. <laughs> remember this? His name was Donovan. Hey, Donovan, if you're listening, we're all going to laugh about this in one second. Um, but he sat down on this chair, and at some point, we're like in the middle of like, you know, opening the word and, you know, going through the passage, and he literally just flops over. And it's because one of the legs that we forgot to replace just sort of just, just literally like kind of dropped out from under the chair, and he literally just went rolling down the living room, right? I, it, it looked funnier than it sounds. Um, but again, what was missing? A, a unity of legs, right, on that chair. And so there was something missing to which that chair couldn't stand, it couldn't function as it was meant to function. This is what Paul is getting at. And this unity, by the way, this unity is so important that we need to affirm, we need to partner with those who are in league with us in this gospel unity. It's kind of like what Dave was just talking about with the network. At the same time, we also, and I need you to listen to me on this, we also need to reject anything that would threaten that unity. That's how serious Paul is. So Paul seeks out these apostles, they affirm it's the same gospel. You have not run in vain. The gospel you've been trusted with is the same gospel we've been entrusted with. We're going to different cultures with it, but it's the same gospel. So then that leads, these, that leads Paul to reject now what happened when these false brothers crept in in verses 3 through 5. There were some who didn't love Paul's ministry to uncircumcised Gentiles. They didn't like that he was doing this. They didn't like that he was taking the gospel and spreading it as wide as he was spreading it. And that's cool because Paul didn't have a lot of love for these dudes after we read what he said, right? He calls them false brothers. Have you ever been called false? False, Ronnie. I mean, actually, I have, to be honest. But he calls them false brothers because they wanted Titus, who was Greek, and gave testimony as a Greek-speaking Gentile, who gave testimony to the grace that God was showing the Gentiles. They wanted him to be circumcised. So they were making judgments on Paul's boy Titus, right? And Paul's like, hey, by the way, uh, he's talking to the Galatian church. These are spies who want to enslave us. That's how he describes people that creep in and try to add to the gospel. He said, these are like spies who want to enslave us. But you know what? We didn't do it, man. He says, we didn't submit for a second, he says. Why? For the preservation of the gospel. That's what he's saying. I mean, do you see what he's, does that make sense? Are you guys clear on that? Do you see what he's trying to say to the Galatians here? He's saying, look, the very thing that is happening to you is trying to be forced on me and Titus. And he's saying, you know what our response was? We rejected it. What were they rejecting? Slavery. They were rejecting slavery. If we move out to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, if you want to put your eyes on that, it says this. And we're going to get to this in a few weeks. But it says this, for freedom, 
Christ has set us free. And then he admonishes the Galatians. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying, stay away from those who spy on your gospel freedom, because in actuality, they are slaves who want to bring you in league with themselves under their own captivity. That's what he's saying. And I know, like me, that some of you came from backgrounds like that. You have. And maybe you grew up in churches where grace was nowhere to be found, right? Like looking for a Super Bowl trophy at first, Energy Stadium. I'm just going to pause on that one for one second. Let it sink in, right? I went there. But that's what it's like. It can't be found, right? What happened for you was that freedom in Jesus got swapped. It got swapped out for religion and rule-keeping, right? If it was like me, it was like what, what movies you shouldn't watch. It was what music you shouldn't listen to. It was the kind of boys you shouldn't date. It was the type of books you shouldn't read, the kind of girls you should stay away from. The problem with this, all right, and we're going to nuance this out a bit. The problem with this is that it's partially true, right? Christians need to have consciences that don't become seared by the temptations of the world, right? We shouldn't be in league with those who affirm and practice the kind of activities and the kind of ideas that God calls sin. And we're going to get into some of the nuances of that in a second. But although it's true that the gospel calls you to abstain from anything that doesn't please Christ, what's the primary message? Is that the primary message? No, the primary message of the gospel is that God is pleased with you in Christ. You're a new person who is putting on your new personhood, right? Colossians 3 tells us this, Paul's letter to the Colossians. He's saying, look, above all, I need you to put on love because love binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, right? So Paul is saying, I need you to put on the things that put you in league with others who are putting on the things of God, right? So that we're all traveling onward and ongoing with our love and our desire and our devotion for Jesus as a church who makes that their primary mission, already understanding that God is pleased with us because that's what the cross provides, is God's pleasure in us. This is the kind of freedom and unity these false false brothers were looking to unravel and redirect into division and to slavery. And man, it's easy, easy to fall into that. Super easy to fall into that. That's why we want to be a church that is constantly talking about that and calling it out and acknowledging that, right? So let me do that. Let me clear the air. Let me remind you of the beauty and the bounty of Christ, of his unending fountain of grace. Because look, if I get hit by a bus after church today, and I might because I got to jam over to Subwoo and preach, I want to make sure you know that the grace meter at substance should be constantly hitting the red. It should constantly be hitting red. Now look, this doesn't mean we don't work hard by the power of the Holy Spirit to become increasingly holy. We do. But that, that synergistic partnership that we share with the Holy Spirit toward our sanctification is possible because our righteousness has been secured. Amen? It's been secured. I forget who I was talking to about skydiving. On one hand, I want to do it. On one hand, there's literally no way it's going to happen. But I talked to somebody who did it, and they said it's the craziest thing because you're getting ready to like dive out of this plane, and then the instructor puts their arms around you 
and like kind of jumps on you and then you jump out. And I'm like, Does that, is that bad? Does that somehow better? I feel like it's just gonna move me to the ground quicker, right? And, um, but no, but it's better because he's in control and he has you and he pulls the string to the parachute, right? You can enjoy the jump because your instructor is wrapped around you and they control, they secure. So no matter what happens in the air, we know that that parachute's gonna come out and we are gonna land safely. So a Jesus plus nothing gospel is the only gospel that progressively gives us holier heads, holier hearts, don't take holier literally, and holier hands. And we love to pursue holiness. And we increase in our desire and love to pursue holiness because it's the happy place where we abide in Jesus. John 15, 10 through 11 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And he says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be full. What that says is pursuing the things of God is happiness. What it's saying is that holiness is happiness. So we must be in league together with those who hold to the authentic gospel. Well, why? Why must we be in league together? What, what happens now, the question is, when we surround ourselves with people who are not in line with the gospel? Now, let me qualify that, right? Paul is not saying don't associate with the world. He's saying, and this is really nuanced, so I need you to listen. He's saying don't associate with those who claim to bear the name of brother or sister in Christ while at the same time attempting to morally or biblically undermine the gospel they claim to hold to. So you have to be very careful. This is not a call out of the world. This is a call for people that are fellowshipping with us, that claim to hold to what we believe is true to be the authentic gospel, but then start piling on and adding on things that actually distort and pull away from and strip the gospel bare of its grace and peace. So then why must we be in league together with those who hold the authentic gospel? Three things. First one is this. Where the gospel is distorted, death reigns. Where the gospel is distorted, death reigns. Slavery to sin is death. You guys remember a Christmas carol? I'm going a little early with some holiday illustrations right now. I'm just going to be honest with you. But uh, you guys remember Ebenezer Scrooge. What happens when Ebenezer is visited that fateful night by his old pal Jacob Marley, right, who's dead and who is in chains? Jacob Marley says, I'm wearing the chains in life that have now carried over to death. So the chains I forged in life are now binding me in death is what Jacob Marley said. And so what we know about that is there's some gospel truth in that. We know that everyone who's a slave to sin in this life will be a slave in the next life. That's why this instruction to Paul about keeping the entrusted gospel authentic is so important because everyone who's free in this life will be free in the next. Romans 6.22, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. In the end, what? Eternal life. So it's important that the gospel is gotten right and preserved, and then we are in league together with other people because where it's distorted, death reigns. A distorted gospel is a death gospel. And again, going back to chapter one, it's actually no gospel at all. Number two. Why must we be in league together with those who hold to the authentic gospel? Number two, because a culture of legalism creates a vacuum of discouragement and exhaustion. 
okay? The Galatians would eventually become discouraged and exhausted if they continue running down the distorted road that they were on. And let me just say that maybe this is you. You come, you came from that culture and you're still on that road. Even though it's substance, we're telling you, man, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. So let God give you the assurance of his grace this morning. Remember who you're surrounded by. You're surrounded by a league of gospel believers that have been set free in the gospel to live for God's glory in the fullness of joy that Christ died to graciously provide you from the depths of his love. All of that is true. Do you realize the culture of that is happening right now? The Holy Spirit that is in your heart, if you are a follower of Christ, is in your neighbor's heart. If they are a follower of Christ, that vacuum of discouragement and exhaustion now has been replaced by something real that is transforming you even in those moments that you don't feel it and you don't know it and you don't see evidence of it. But you know what? We continue to pray for it. That's why it's so important for us to gather on Sundays to receive that encouragement, to fill that vacuum of discouragement. That's why we gather. That's why we gather in the middle of the week in community groups. Because discouragement comes, man, at the drop of a hat. It comes from me, I don't know about you, every Monday morning and probably 12 hours before that, right? So we need to fill those vacuums of discouragement with the encouragement that comes with other people that hold to the gospel. Don't become engulfed by the darkness of good deed theology. Let's fight together with all the fight that we have in us to expose false gospels and not submit to them for a moment because our freedom in Christ has been blood bought, right? And in this, man, we're patient, aren't we? We're patient and we're gracious with one another who are stuck in those vacuums. But we're careful. We're really careful to not let these legalisms lie festering, all the while chipping away at the joy of our freedom. So listen, if this surfaces something, if this surfaces slaveries and shackles that you've carried in your own heart, man, be brutal in exterminating them. I remember one time back in the day, somebody came over to our house, and uh, he just, we were just showing him the house, and he's walking around outside, and uh, my wife will remember this. And uh, he said, you have about 15 hornet's nests, just like all kind of on the perimeter of your house. And me, you know, being the, the home project guy, like we just discussed, um, you know, I never really noticed any of that, right? And, and we were kind of shocked when we found that out. But, like, we didn't just, like, lay on it. I didn't say, hey, hornet's nests, they're kind of pretty. Let's see if we can go from 15 to 25. You know, let's just see if we can just, you know, just cover the whole house in hornet's nests because, you know, they're all right. They're not bad guys, Right? No, we, we exterminated them. That's how, that's how bad it was. And that's how bad this is for the health of our church and the joy of our hearts. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And sin and death now was what the Galatian church was facing and what they were grappling with. Number three. Why do we need to be in league together with those who hold the authentic gospel? Because our mission to the underprivileged will become motivated by self-righteousness otherwise. 
Let's not miss what the apostles encouraged Paul to do in verse 10. What does it say? Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So this is what happens. When we devalue the glory of God and his grace, it means our motivations become skewed. It means that we do things out of duty over delight. And where duty reigns, I need you to listen, we're almost done. Where duty reigns, self-righteousness rules. So our mission to the poor, our mission to get our hands out into the community and do the things that we have been called to do in the Great Commission, which is, by the way, one of the very characteristics of Jesus that has been commissioned to the church, can easily become an exercise in furthering our egos over Christ-motivated compassion. Do you guys hear me? So the work we see Paul doing here 2,000 years ago has massive implications for us. We are brothers and sisters in league together with those who are recipients of the greatest debt payment plan ever conceived and accomplished. Jesus kept all of God's laws perfectly for us who are unable to do anything and keep anything but sin. 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, we now share the right hand of fellowship with brothers and sisters who've been justified, who are being sanctified, and who'll be glorified. It's this unity. It's this unbroken bond of blood-bought gospel unity that gives us hands to help the poor and remember that we've been delivered to no longer live for ourselves, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That's how important this gospel unity is. That's how important it is for us to be in league with those who hold to it. So as we close, let's not screw around with this. That's my encouragement to you. With liberating grace, let the liberating grace of the gospel, let the legalism destroying joy of works righteousness, let's repent of those things that would so easily remove the grace and peace that has been provided for us and the freedom in Christ, but let's stay together. Let's stay in league together under the unity of the gospel by obeying the command of Paul to the Ephesian church where he implores us to do this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've been called with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says, there is one body, there is one spirit, and just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over and through all in all. Amen. That's the word for us. Let's be able to locate the authentic gospel. Let's be able to proclaim the authentic gospel. Let's be able to defend the authentic gospel. And then let's encourage one another in the one hope that exists in the one authentic gospel.
as we share in one another's sufferings, as we bear each other's burdens, as we walk out of this warehouse with the redeeming light of Christ literally flooding from our pores. That's the joy. That's the happiness that God has for those who are called according to his purpose and stay in league with those who are ferociously rejecting anything that would push against it. That's a hopeful word. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope of the authentic gospel. I thank you for brothers and sisters, churches all through our denomination, churches all through our network, Lord, that we are in league together with. Because, God, we need this encouragement. We need unity of head, of heart, and of hands. But, Lord, like the Galatians, we can so quickly receive a distorted gospel because it's subtle. So Lord, continue to provide us by your Holy Spirit great discernment. Lord, give us great community and fellowship, Lord, so that we don't ever feel like we're walking alone into waters that continue to trouble our souls or that continue to remind us of some of the places that we've come from, some of the places that have just told us and shown us that it's not enough just to trust Christ for salvation, but that we also got to break our backs to earn God's favor. I pray that we would continue to reject that theology with everything that we have because there's a greater joy, because there's a brighter hope, because there's one salvation. So Lord, I pray that we would hold to this beautiful, true, authentic gospel. And Lord, let us never depart from it. We pray these things in Christ's name. And together we said, amen.